Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? In the midst of school starting for both Jaren and I, we have somehow got just the slightest smidge of time to crank out a podcast for you guys. Um, obviously, we do apologize for last week. As we told you guys, we were starting school and there may be some, you know, just unexpected turbulence, uh, you know, with that. But uh, after our first week, we have got our schedules uh, much more aligned, and we're locked in now, but we're not locked on Mavs, Jaren. We're the Mainstream Mavs Podcast. Jaren, how have you been doing, and uh, what have you been keeping up with uh, as far as the Mavericks go? You've released some articles. What have, what have you What have you been up to? Yeah, so uh, if you don't know now, uh, you know, me and Will are contributing uh, at the Smoking Cuban, and uh, I had some big stories come out this, this most recent week. I'll have one come out this week about Josh Green. Uh, I won't release the reasons as to what that article is about or the contents that that article will be about because I think it'll be kind of fun. Uh, but just last week, we had some, I mean, me and you both had some big articles come out, but uh, whether regarding the the schedule coming out, uh, Kyrie versus Brunson, you know, just some fun topics uh, that Mavs fans kind of want to hear about, you know, through the offseason with a lackluster set of uh, content that's been coming through. But outside of that, you know, I've uh, been ramping up with FIBA a little bit, kind of got my first time or not got my first time, but I got to watch some games for the first time today uh, with Team USA versus um, Greece. Uh, I got to watch a little bit of that. But outside of that, you know, it's it's been a pretty basketball less kind of uh, week. But, you know, starting school, you know, the grind starts now and uh, I'm, I'm you know excited to be back on the podcast. I know we are uh, looking to uh, produce more content now that uh, we're back in the swing of things and got a rhythm going. Yeah, we, we did promise the the listeners that last time would be the last like time that that three was going to happen. But <laughs> yes, but uh, we we also did have some uh, unexpected uh, delays, uh, particularly in my personal life, that kind of prevented some things uh, last week from coming out. But we've we've moved past that now. We're on to bigger and better things. So uh, so today uh, we are going to be getting into uh, more specifically the uh 10 or we actually have 12 moments listed so i don't know if we'll end up cutting two but we'll see what we do but we're going to be ranking uh the top 10 to 12 uh greatest moments from the mavericks last season uh obviously going to have to do a couple of these kind of filler episodes where we backtrack and you know you know either back to before last season and you know maybe talk about a what if scenario or you know we just do a sort of ceremonial thing like oh what were the tests you know, 10 funnest moments from last year, 10 best moments. But obviously, um, this is just sort of the um, scorekeeping you kind of got to do uh, throughout the offseason. You know, it, it does suck not having a uh, just solid uh, ebb and flow of content being spoon fed to you all the time. But it, it's also fun to, uh, you know, look at these podcast or, you know, have these type of podcasts and, um you know, do some content that, you know, otherwise we really wouldn't have the time to do uh, amidst a pretty busy and hectic season. So we'll be getting into that today. And we'll also be talking about how the Mavericks have been faring at the World Cup. World Cup officially kicked off three days ago. Australia and, you know, Josh Green and Dante Exum, uh, they've 
they've been pretty playing pretty well so far. Um, Luca obviously has started off World Cup play with like two 30 plus point games, maybe 35, 35, 35 yeah, plus, yeah, yeah, point, and uh, is leading all of FIBA in scoring. Admittedly, he has gone against some pretty weak and brittle opponents. Jaren and I were not able to watch the games because you know we do we do have school and the games are at like 6 a.m. or else we would do our absolute darndest to watch them for you guys. But we will talk about them. We were able to go over them at least a little bit. And we are excited to uh, you know, continue Slovenia and Australia's you know, World Cup run, and, and as well as Dwight Powell in Canada. But you know, he he's he he makes more of a token appearance on this podcast. So, um, needless to say, um, Luca obviously is not in the most heavy matchup difficulty group stage uh, within the World Cup. You know, comparable to some of these other teams. But uh, once they get past group play, if Slovenia does come out of that uh, Group B category. Uh, things could get very interesting and you know despite Slovenia's uh, strength of the roster definitely being a little bit hindered obviously by you know Vlako Konchar going down with that injury in that preparation game towards ACL you know prayers to him of course uh, you know as, as well as you know Goran Dragic not playing this year um, Slovenia is not the powerhouse that or I don't even know if I should call it a powerhouse but they're they're not the basketball squad um, that they were just over a year ago and it'll be really intriguing to see uh, if this roster, you know, can come together in a sort of roundabout way. And, and if Luca's going to be spearheading that, he just released a, um, or he's doing like a little short series slash documentary type deal um, that he's been posting on his social medias about the Slovenian national team. And, you know, each episode kind of gives some insight into their World Cup run. So if they were to, uh, you know, actually win the whole thing, I'm sure that that would be a very, uh, cool docu-series so definitely check that out if you guys get a second but you know other than that i i really can't think of anything else Mavs related that's that's been happening really over the last like week week or two since we uh since jaren actually uh did that podcast uh with our guest uh debbie and uh dalton pibus um they came up on the show and uh, talked about dirk's hall of fame and Tryman. if you guys would like to go listen to that that was the last episode but if you have if you have nothing else jaren uh we will go ahead and uh go into this intro real quick um yeah so. outside of uh i do believe that slovenia actually already qualified for elimination rounds but outside of that, i got nothing so so does that so they just they automatically advance because they they won the first two games and then they i think their last game is against jordan i think so okay all right yeah. well so they, they already qualify they're just yeah. like essentially playing this game to play it yeah, well, they they're playing for first place, I believe. Maybe maybe they're already. Oh, uh, okay. I'm not sure how few. So yeah, FIBA. we'll need to to get into the the bracketology of the World Cup a little bit more, and we'll be back after the intro. We're gonna go. We're gonna look that up during the intro. But before we do that, here is an ad from our sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. All right, Jaron. So kicking it off here with, you know, starting with Luka Doncic's back to back 35 plus point performances, um, in group play. Uh, I need to correct myself before uh, the intro. I said group B. Um, he is in group F with the Slovenian national team. They beat Georgia pretty handily today, and they are slated to play Cape Verde in their last um, uh, group stage game of uh, group F play. Uh, and then they'll move on um, to their next group stage. And, and after that, um, hopefully they will be um, steadfast um, towards working towards a um you know a FIBA World Cup championship or you know at least getting to the semifinals or quarterfinals but we'll just have to see how everything plays out but you know given that they were in pretty favorable position in their bracket having 
you know, to only go against Venezuela and Georgia so far, not not the strongest opponents. They were able to get some pretty decisive victories. Jaren, we obviously haven't had, you know, time to dissect and really watch these games like we told the listeners, but how how continued continually impressed are you by by Luca's shape this offseason and how he's playing for Slovenia uh, amidst them being pretty shorthanded here, you know, especially with, uh, you know, his last two games uh, essentially leading the tournament and scoring. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, there was a crazy stat that came out. Uh, I think Grant Afseth was the one that reported on it, but uh, Luka Doncic scored every single point in that first quarter for Slovenia outside of four points, which he had assisted on. Um, and I mean, that to me is just mind bewildering. Uh, it only speaks to, you know, what kind of work Luka Doncic has been doing this offseason. But um, I, I'm going to confidently say this. This might be a hot take. You know, someone else might say, oh, Kevin Durant, um, you know, some other player who's some nifty scorer like that can do what do more than what Luka is doing. But I, I confidently will say this, that Luka Doncic at the FIBA level is the only guy that can average 35 plus points. Um, I, I, you know, it's absolutely insane to see because, you know, I, I do think that it is a very hard level to score on due to the smaller court. Uh, and just really the defensive, you know, kind of um, the levels that you or not levels, but kind of the rules that play against the offense uh, in favor of the defense at the FIBA level. So just to see him kind of dictate really everything in that matter uh, and go out there and ball out and do everything that Luka Doncic does, throw some crazy passes, throw some crazy uh, lobs and, you know, of course, knock down a million threes. It's always fun to watch. And I, I got a chance to watch some of the highlights. Um, which I was very thankful for because I know that FIBA has been throwing out like three minute highlights and I got a chance to watch those. Uh, but yeah, I mean, dominant fashion against Georgia at one point in time, it was a close game probably until about the third quarter uh, and Slovenia just pulled away um, and same goes, I think uh, who's their first game against. I forget who their. Uh, I, I don't honestly remember who their first game against was Venezuela. Venezuela. That's right. Uh, Venezuela was shooting the lights. out. I do know that. And they still just pulled away one by 15, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the the game that Luka Doncic is playing right now is on another planet compared to everybody else. Uh, leading FIBA in scoring, I think only behind Karlik Jones, who's only played one game, and then uh, Shea Gilgis, who's played two games. So um, those guys are pretty much on the only level-headed uh, playing field as Luka. But outside of that, I mean, it's it's been a complete fest of scoring for Slovenia. Uh, and, you know, winning, of course, two of their two games. And they'll play Cape Verde, I think, in two days. Uh, and then, of course, as you mentioned before, they'll play the winner of Group F uh, or Group uh, E, I think it was, uh, which is as it stands right now, it's Georgia or uh, sorry, Germany and Australia. But Australia plays Japan, who are tied right now, and winner of that will get to advance. Uh, that happens tomorrow morning. So we'll see what happens there. I'm hoping it's Australia pulling for Josh Green and, of course, Dante Exum. But yeah, I mean, just a, a crazy coincidence or not coincidence, but crazy games played. Uh, in favor of Slovenia, it's been, you know, through the three minute highlights that I've seen, because, you know, it, it's hard to get access to these games, especially whenever they're so early. Um, but through the through the highlights that I have seen, it's been really fun uh, and, you know, really just eye opening to see what kind of work he's been putting in. No, most definitely. And admittedly, he obviously hasn't faced, um, you know, probably the caliber of strength of opponent that some of, you know, the other NBA stars in the tournament have had to go up against, uh, you know, just in two group stage games here. But, I mean, as the tournament continues to churn along, if, you know, Luca is able to um, reciprocate that sort of production that he was last year, uh, as well as what we're seeing early on in group play uh, into the latter half of the tournament, um, then, I mean, that's going to be really special for Slovenia. And it's it's definitely going to, um, you know, shine pretty uh, a pretty bright light uh, upon, you know, his, his conditioning and his work ethic this summer. 
And, you know, that's needed from a, a national media perspective as much as, uh, you know, he gets flack from, you know, people probably, uh, you know, fairly unfairly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, every once in a while, you got to throw in the, the fairly unfairly juxtaposition. But uh, nonetheless, though, it'll definitely be um, really interesting to see how Slovenia ends up faring uh, throughout the next couple weeks. The latest that they could play for anybody who is worried that it might interfere with Mavs training camp is September 10th. That would be the championship of the World Cup if they were to make it that far. So uh, luckily, I believe training camp's not even starting until early October this year because there has not been a formal announcement yet. So we are chilling on that front. But every summer that we get to see Luca play at the international level and not get hurt uh, is a blessing in itself. While he is still young, uh, you know, I, I do think, you know, just for his increased development, you know, whatever he can marginally improve on, despite how good he is, uh, it, it's great for him to be over there. Um, it's great for him to to be in the, you know, idealistic shape that he's in right now. Obviously, preparing for the national team, you know, he he cranked up his workload heading into the summer. And, you know, we've, we've seen him in years past celebrate with uh, or celebrate with some uh, some hookah, and, and beer and everything like that amidst you know Slovenia's successes you know not saying he can't do that in some capacity this year but I do think that there is an uh, increased feeling of having to take care of his body um, you know if you've listened to any of the comments that you know he's made you know with his trainer that his trainers made this offseason it does seem as if Luca's poised to to carry on this level of conditioning and um and work ethic into the into Mavericks training camp which is 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 extremely encouraging and you know in the same vein of which we watched Dirk in his national team career you know watching Luca as he's young uh, until he you know he, one day he may not be able to play national ball um really is a, a special side I definitely will have to get a Luca Slovenia jersey at, at some point I I tried last year off of a uh, pretty uh mysterious website and um did not end up receiving the jersey in the end um I I can't remember if I actually went through with the payment or not um, or if I was going to, um, but yeah, um, needless to say, um, that, that hopefully will come in the mail one day. Um, now I'll get, a, and we'll, we'll get Jaron a Dwight Powell Canada Jersey. Just, there we go. Just, there we go. You know, he, he contributes some on the podcast every once in a while. Uh, but anyways, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to monitor Luca and Slovenia's world cup, um, you know, games accordingly, but we also need to talk a little bit about some of the other maps that are at the world cup. Um, Jaron, what have you thought of Dwight Powell? I mean, not Dwight Powell, Dante Exum and Josh Green so far, you know, playing for Australia this World Cup. Um, both of them have been, you know, pretty impressive in my opinion, despite uh, their roles kind of being relegated to uh, more of, you know, complementary bench pieces on a, on a pretty strong Australian national team that has quite a few, uh, you know, NBA players like, you know, Patty Mills, Josh Giddy. Uh, you know, Matisse Dybal, just to name a few, a few. Um, wh what have we seen from them so far? Uh, should Mavs fans be worried based on what they're seeing? Should they be, um, should they raise their expectations based on what we're seeing uh, out of both of those guys? Um, I admittedly have not, you know, got a chance to watch uh, any Australian games in full, but I definitely have watched some highlights um, of a couple of their group, uh, I mean, of their preparation play uh, games um, and, you know, I'm definitely going to try to, you know, go back and watch some of their group play games. So what have you gathered from those two guys so far? Yeah, you know, I think uh, Dante Exum, he's kind of a guy that was, you know, brought on, of course, in the offseason was more of an under 
uh, undercovered signing, I would say, and, you know, didn't really have a whole lot of hype around him. But uh, I think that that's a guy that, you know, could warrant some hype. He's uh, had a very strong uh, international performance thus far. And again, you know, as you said, the, both Josh Green and him have been kind of reduced to uh, a complimentary bench role. Um, but, you know, him in particular, Dante Exum, that is uh, in particular, he has had a very strong showcasing on offense. I do know that uh, he nailed down some threes so far just between preparation and uh, group stage play. Uh, he's nailed down some threes. He's looked really good in transition from what I've seen. Um, but outside of that, I haven't really heard anything else. You know, I, I'm sure his defense is as stout as it really ever or as it always has been. Uh, and then, you know, moving on to Josh Green, I know that Ma a lot of Mavs fans have been kind of concerned with his, you know, kind of reduction or um, his reduced offensive role uh, for Australia. I know that he's, you know, only touching the ball a handful of times. And, you know, in that he's only shooting about one or two times a game. Uh, but you know, just in terms of, I guess, filling around the spaces or filling around the spots that are needed, you know, we've seen a really, imp a really improved Josh Green uh, in terms of that category. I think his defensive game has been really good. I know that he got a, either a steal or a block uh, in that first group stage game. I don't, again, I don't remember who they played. I think it was Finland, um, but I know that they got a steal or he got a steal or a block. I can't remember what it was, but um, defensively, he's looked really strong and offensively, you know, from the time that he's gotten with the ball, uh, he actually has looked pretty impressive, I will say. Yeah, he's looked really good as a ball mover so far. Uh, just just keeping the possession alive. You can definitely see that he, you know, he might not be granted as much leniency within the Australian national team offense, uh, just due to, you know, the 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 wide array of NBA players that they have. Not saying that um, that's going to necessarily be the case with the Mavericks, or that he even, you know, shouldn't have a bigger role in the Australian national team. But they do have a lot of veterans over there. Hence why, you know, a guy like Dante Exum, who, you know, by all NBA standards, may be worse than Josh Green. I mean, I guess we'll see next year, obviously. Um, but, you know, having been out the league and stuff like that, you know, he, he's getting a little bit more, um, you know, offensive duties delegated to him from a playmaking and ball handling perspective. We're seeing him, you know, uh, attack decisively in one-on-one -on -one scenarios and, and finish at the basket, make a few threes, like Jaron said. Um, definitely something that we're going to have to see an increased sample size from because we didn't see it from him in the first couple games uh, with Australia. So, I mean, that's obviously going to be the biggest sticking point with him uh, and his uh, tenure with Dallas as a, as training camp unfolds up here in a month or so, but uh, from the defensive side of things and, you know, just playing the role in which both of those guys have been asked, I, I haven't seen anything alarming and uh, I've, I've been really happy to have watched them. I, I really do hope that we get to see, you know, both of them guard Luca at some point. Um, if, Slovenia does end up meeting up with Australia uh, in, um, you know, when they play in the group K and L games and stuff like that. Um, you know, once both of those teams, both of those teams advance, but uh, obviously Australia will have to win. Um, are they, you said they're playing Japan right now, or is that tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning. Yeah. So they play Japan tomorrow morning. If Japan wins, then uh, unfortunately we, we will not have the luxury to see that, but that would be a, a very fun game as far as FIBA World Cup goes. But, um, you know, we, we, do we want to touch up on Dwight Powell at all with the Team Canada? Uh, I all really... I will say is I do know that Canada is playing very well as a team. I do know that. But yes. all I've seen is uh, him and some Instagram posts. I'll put it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't I, – I, it seems like he's playing a pretty minimal role for the squad right now. I mean, I've seen him uh, – you know, I, I saw a few Twitter posts that uh, definitely didn't shed the brightest light – uh, upon his playing time that he was getting um but it'll be intriguing to see um how much he's used going forward obviously canada stacked um i 
Dwight's not starting for them, is he? Uh, I think Kelly Olynyk is their starting. Center. Yeah, so he. I mean, he's not even a starter, but um, it's great to see him still being involved with his his country and his national team. Happy for him, uh, for the from that perspective, because I don't think he's played with Team Canada, uh, in a minute, if I'm mistaken. I think that, I, I. Yeah, I'm honestly not sure, but I, I know it's been a while. Yeah, I know exactly. At least anything that, um, you know, at least at a level as competitive as the World Cup. I can't even remember if he played. I think he was on that Olympic team uh, in Tokyo, but I, I would need to go check. I, you know, obviously we're not going to trip too heavy over Dwight Powell's role um, on the Canadian national team, but if he, uh, if he gets any, you know, you know, game breaking or shattering dunks, then, you know, the mainstream mass podcast will be the first to tweet about it. Well, you can bet, bet your ass that that, that will be the case, but uh, otherwise Jaron, let's get into these 10 best moments of the season from the Dallas Mavericks in the 2022-23, oh my God, uh, <laughs> the Dallas Mavericks 2022-23 season. Guys, I'm already ready to move on to the 2023-24 season. I've essentially had it like penciled in in my head that we're already there. So it's been kind of difficult, you know, both in media writing as well as on the podcast to, you know, have to recite back and say the previous year. So I apologize about that, but Nonetheless, there were a lot of fun moments amidst a, a pretty um, underwhelming season. You know, in every season, there are certain things that I think that you can extract that do matter and, and from a momentum perspective or uh, just from a, you know, significant standpoint that are, are cool to at least, you know, look back upon. You know, we Jaron and I specifically put in a lot of hard work this season, you know, in our first real season covering basketball, through, you know, throughout a full 82 game season obviously we wish to be more expansive in our coverage you know hence our writing and we definitely are, are gearing up for a better season this year but uh i think the 2022-23 season will definitely hold a special place in our hearts uh from that perspective uh even though the mavericks did end up finishing 38 and 44 so you know uh it from that perspective we definitely at least you know like to rehash some of these moments and there's not really much else to talk about right now besides the FIBA stuff in the off season. So kicking it off here without further ado, we do have a couple honorable mentions to get into um, before we, we get into the top 10 here. Um, Jaron, what are some of the honorable mentions that we have in this list of the 10 best moments that the Mavericks had in the 2022, 23 season? Yeah, these all three happen to be uh, games that did occur. So uh, two of them we actually went to. So uh, anyways, we have the home opener against the Grizzlies. I think uh, our, our our youthfulness as fans, our uh, innocence, was fully fully struck that yes. night. We we thought we were going high. We thought we were going to win a few games that year. We were beating the shit out of the Grizzlies, uh, who of course were you know touted as a good team at that time, and still, I mean, they finished as a yeah. two seed. So. Uh, but I mean, in better words, we beat the beat the shit out of them. So like. That's really yeah, I, now, say, so. I will add context. Uh, this was the Mavericks home opener of the regular season. Yes. Mavericks ended up winning by over 40. If I do recall, the Grizzlies were on a second back to back to back. Yes. And I, I if I can't remember right, they may have had a couple players out, but I knew I knew I know Jaw was playing. They did uh, Triple J. I know Triple J wasn't, and I yeah. I think Steven Adams played. Yeah, yeah Steven Adams yeah, played, but, but Triple J was out. Yeah, and um I and I also remember Desmond Bain Desmond like, Bain having a terrible Shoulder. game that game. And then, like, literally, like, the next week of the year, he ends up, like, having, like, a crazy performance versus the Nets. 
um, had like 40 in like an overtime game or like 30 or something like that. But it was funny because the Grizzlies actually did get off to like a little skid to start the season. And then they like quickly turned it around shortly after that Mavs game. But I mean, it, it's kind of a game that, you know, we can write off obviously is not having mattered whatsoever. Um, and, you know, with the Mavericks, you know, winning by that much, it at least did hold some significance at the time because it, it you know, we were riding fairly high in the moment. I think Jaron and I both still had our reservations over the game. It was a really weird game because it, you know, it was the first game of the year. So you're not really knowing what to expect. We are just excited to see basketball and, you know, for back, you know, lack of a better term, it, it wasn't even necessarily the group, you know, the, the Mavs defense, I feel like that really, you know, threw things off, but the Grizzlies just missed a shit ton of open shots all game. Like they, they couldn't hit the, bro- yep. you know, the broad side of the barn uh, besides jaw, you know, occasionally getting to the rim. He, he did play pretty excellent despite, not having the best shooting game. Um, it, it was a really weird game, but you know, it, it was fun at the time. So hence why it isn't higher on the up on the list, Jaron. What what are the what are the other two we got here? Uh so we got November 29th versus the Warriors. That was the first time we saw the Warriors since the Western Conference Finals. And I believe the score was 115 to 112, if I remember right, and we ended up winning. Uh I remember that game just because again, it was, you know, we beat the Warriors for the first time since the Western Conference Finals. Uh, and Luca had an amazing game and Josh Green. I think that was the Josh Green coming out game. Uh, that was very memorable. And yeah. then last for the honorable mentions, we got April 5th versus the Kings. That was like the last, the last one of the season. Uh, but it was also just a very good team win. Me and Will were in attendance for that one. Um, and I, I won't say who we were cheering for, uh, but you know, it, it was a fun game to watch either way. And it was back and forth pretty much up until late in the fourth quarter, uh, where Kyrie just went absolutely to work. And I, I, I don't want to say this, but I want to say this. That's like one of the most beautiful performances that I've ever seen in person uh, yeah. was that Kyrie. He had like 37 or 35. I can't remember. But in that fourth quarter, he had like either a shade under 20 or like 20. Yeah. Like something like think, that. Yeah. He, he was, I mean, it, it was the, the ultimate display of just like multifaceted scoring that I'd ever seen uh, from a point guard in a basketball game. Um, he was hitting, I mean, he, Davion Mitchell is one of the best guard defenders in the NBA. I think Absolutely. Any, everybody can say that it's a very fair consensus and Kyrie Irving made him look like, you know, he was playing against a four-year-old out there and there's like, and it's not even like he could really even do anything about it. Like Davion was playing great defense. Kyrie, you know, just winning within the margins on every single play. If, if he would, if he got to the rim beforehand, you know, he, he would settle for a fall away you know, turn around mid-range jump shot and somehow cash it in despite, you know, how difficult it was. Or then, you know, the ensuing possession, come back with a couple jab steps, end of the shot clock three. I mean, it was just like, there was nothing that, there was no board on the chess move that uh, you you could make to stop Kyrie Irving's, um, I, you know, did his, uh, his, his entourage that night. I mean, that, that was a, a very special moment in game, despite uh, it, having a sort of weird feel around it because the Mavericks were obviously in the midst of debating whether they should tank or not, um, essentially, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, as they approached, you know, the end of the last two regular season games there, they only had two regular season games left after that point, uh, but with the Bulls and the Spurs. And, you know, they were in the midst of being kind of caught up in a weird tiebreaker scenario uh, with Chicago, uh, who would, you know, end up, or, you know, end up getting that 10th pick uh, was obviously a, a hot question at the time. And, you know, the Mavericks end up losing that game versus the Bulls, end up getting the 10th pick uh, to secure 
um, you know, them themselves still having a pick in the draft because obviously their 10th pick was owed to the Knicks uh, or if it was under, um, if it was a greater pick um, than, than top 10, uh, if it ended up being 10 to 15 or 10 to 20, something like that, the Mavericks would have had to have sent that pick uh, to New York as part of the Chris Asperzingis trade, obviously where they traded their 2023 uh, first round pick, but they did have the top 10 protections on it. So uh, that was a quite a, quite a ride in history but also really not too far too far long ago amidst some of the offseason moves that the Mavericks have made you know I I do think the feeling is obviously a lot better than it was at that time but you know we always have to to still have that context of how the Mavericks ended the season we can't get you know too excited too optimistic for this for this next season knowing that but um that was that was a really fun game to say the least um but you know barring that let's just uh, go ahead and slide into the top 10 now all right, guys. So unfortunately, we did have a little bit of an interference. We had some technological issues. So we're in a little bit of a remote setting right now. Uh, we are at the University of North Texas in a undisclosed location, um, somewhere hiding. But somewhere. Jaren and I uh, still are here to finish out the podcast and, um, you know, rank these 10 best moments from the Mavericks in the 2022-23 season before we were rudely interrupted by jaren's computer going completely haywire yeah you know no explanation here other than the part that you know i'm, I'm gonna blame this one on microsoft uh and we'll leave it at that we'll leave it at that so yeah most definitely uh but let's go ahead and get into this list jaren um so at 10th you know after you know we obviously just listed those honorable mentions some um great moments there but at 10 um and we're gonna go um in ascending order from 10 up um, we have the March 5th game versus the Suns. It's a matinee day game on ABC. Yes. High stakes affair uh, is when the Mavericks were still jousting for playoff position. They weren't uh, – their 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 hopes of uh, getting to the playoffs were not completely dwindled at this point in time. KD had just been traded to the Suns at the trade deadline, and it made for a, a very exciting back-and-forth affair all game. Luka and Kyrie uh, were going after it, you know, and uh, – Katie ends up, you know, sealing the game with some free throws, but him and uh, Kyrie were chirping a little bit, Luca and Booker. Uh, needless to say, um, as you you quoted here uh, in the notes, it reignited the rivalry. And obviously the Mavericks lost that game, hence why we have it, you know, all the way down to the 10th spot. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it did set forth a, a sort of agenda going forward between these two teams that like, you know, because the, the Suns had, uh, got the better of the Mavericks early in the season with that Damian Lee game winner, and I think they, and then the, the, no, the Mavericks, the Mavericks, the Mavericks won at home. The Mavericks yeah. went at home. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think that you know once the Mavericks obviously played the Suns very viably uh, with KD there as well, um, you know that definitely you know set the groundwork to be like okay, like regardless of who's on our roster, like you're gonna respect us. You know, this is a this is a real thing after that that playoff series and. You know, the Suns can can disregard it all they want. Um, but um needless to say, um game seven, um, the forty point blowout speaks for itself. And um we have uh, plenty of uh opportunities next season with the NBA's rivalry week, um, as well as um you know Christmas the mid day. yeah, the yeah. Christmas Day, um, perhaps even the midseason tournament, um to to get more revenge in the playoffs. So um not not the biggest Phoenix guys over here, but uh, I do, I do have an appreciation for Jock Landell, but luckily he's elsewhere. He's in San Antonio now. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, to speak more to that March fifth game, 
yes, it was a matinee day game. And I do believe that uh, Phoenix and Dallas at that point in time, I think that they were kind of both jousting for playoff positions. Uh, and both of them were looking like they possibly could have had a four, five or three, uh, three to six seed matchup in the playoffs. And we could have possibly seen that Phoenix Suns team again. Of course, you know, the rest is history. The Mavericks, of course, fall to the 11 seed and everything like that happens. But um, yeah, I think, you know, there's no other word to say it than other than, you know, it pretty much reignited the rivalry. Um, bless you, Will. Thank you. Uh, it reignited the rivalry. rivalry and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the Mavericks lost, but, you know, we got to see the Kyrie uh, versus Kevin Durant. That was their first matchup against each other since, of course, being on the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they chirped. And then, of course, Booker and Luca always chirp. And even Kyrie got in uh, Booker's face at one point in time after the game. Or not after the game, but uh, actually it may have been after the game whenever they're walking off the court. I can't remember. Well, no, um, yeah. So it was with a few seconds left. Yeah, with that's the free throws. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of hot, head, hot heads going into that. And, of course, you know, we will see that team plenty of more times uh, regarding next season's schedule. So you know, we're looking forward to that. But uh, moving on to number nine, uh, this one, you know, it could be as high as, uh, we'll say five, and it could be probably in the honorable mentions list, depending on how you look at this. Or uh, not even on the list for some or, fans. Or not even the list, yeah, for some fans. But we went the, the April 7th versus the Chicago Bulls. Uh, the Mavericks finally decided to take a route, and, uh, of course, they tanked that game, and that was the infamous, you know, what was it, $750,000 fine yes. um, that Mark Cuban got fined for. Um and yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of headlines going into that game where the Mavericks going to win out, where the Mavericks going to tank. Uh, and, you know, pretty much headed into that game it was already unlikely that the Mavericks are going to make the playoffs. So uh, in but hindsight, it and they um they were tied, I believe, or in very uh, not too dissimilar um, records to Chicago. You know, think, and they were yeah. both vying for that um, that that 10th worst spot because um, they, they definitely would have had to. I don't think the Mavericks held the tiebreaker between the yeah, two teams in terms of who would have uh, ended up drawing 10th or they would have had to, you know, if they did tie um, and everything was completely, um, you know, drawn out, then they would have had to have redrawn uh, lottery balls just to select who would have the best odds going yeah. into before the lottery. So, yeah, so. Uh, yeah it, it was a bit of a precarious position. And uh, Jaron and I were actually watching the game at work, funny enough. Um, we ended up doing the post game pod afterwards. We watched like the recording, but uh, we were like frantically, um, you know, sort of rooting for, you know, the Bulls to win in that game, but not in the in the sense that you know we didn't want to see success come Dallas's way. We just you know knew that that would be the the, the biggest route uh, to, to that would pay the most dividends in the offseason. And that's what we and see, uh, you know so. they ended up getting the tenth pick. And had they not done that, they would have had. A lot less flexibility, and you know, I, I think that there would be a, a different sort of impetus heading into this season um, than there is now after accruing um, Derek Lively and you know Olivia Maxson's Prosper and Rashawn Holmes on draft night. I mean, that's like you know the bulk of the offseason right there. Yeah. Obviously, the the marquee free agent signings and you know Grant Williams, Derek Jones, Seth Curry, um, but I, I don't think that that looks near as promising, uh, especially from a you know, a, a post Kyrie perspective as well as, you know, when you're looking at this window of, you know, Luca has three years remaining on his contract, you know, there's, I wouldn't say that uncertainty is looming in the air in regards to that, but you know, there, there is a little bit of skepticism in uh, when we're talking about his contract and what his future in Dallas is going to be just because we don't have any, you know, tangible, you know, definitive proof that he's for sure going to want to stay, but he's obviously got a home here. He just got married 
he's a very loyal individual, but we, you know, we, we can't, you know, mistake him for the stereotype of most, you know, European superstars that they're just going to be uh, devoutly loyal and um, not change up. Cause uh, look at Giannis Antetokounmpo right now. He just came out with a quote um, literally that he, you know, if, if things were to, um, you know, not go in this direction that he wanted to, he would uh, definitely consider leaving Milwaukee um, next off season. He just signed a five-year max extension. So in the modern NBA where stars have the power to wheel and deal wherever they want, um, you can never be too sure that your franchise player um, is going to stay. You don't know what he could be feeling internally in regards to wanting to win and all that sort of stuff. There's a bunch of narrative and agenda pushing in today's NBA um, that has only grown since um, the 90s and the 80s when um, we saw rivalries and um, all that sort of stuff develop. So, you know, you never know what how players are interpreting their, their standing in the media. And, you know, if they feel like they need to, you know, that, that one ring that they won for that city um, wasn't enough at the end of the day, which obviously there's a desire to win there. But, you know, if they feel like they, you know, the desire to win, overrides having to do it, you know, at a homegrown level, then you never know, uh, despite how loyal Luca is. So that'll definitely, um, you know, be interesting to see going forward. But nonetheless, um, the April 7th game versus the Bulls is a, you know, a sort of microcosm of that, because if the Mavericks don't end up winning that, um, I, I do think that 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 bridge to the potential I wouldn't say post Luca era, but when Luca's entering his prime, if he's staying or if he does leave, um, it, it would be um, a lot less. Um, there would be a lot less work constructed on that bridge, Jaren. Yeah. Um, if the Mavericks uh, were not to, you know, gain Olivier Maxson's Prosper and Derek Lively that night, so you know, I I can understand certain fans' perspective of you know wanting to win at all costs and you know not you know necessarily believing in the Mavericks tanking from a moral perspective. It kind of just, inter- you know, depends on your interpretation of the NBA and what have you, but I, I don't fault anybody's viewpoints. And I obviously the Dallas, I, you know, the Dallas Mavericks did the best thing at the end of the day, given their situation, had their situation even been marginally different, I would have probably begged to differ that they should have won the game. Um, but they, they literally almost statistically had no chance of making the playoffs. Um, so yeah, I, you know, because of the dividends it ended up paying, it, it comes in at the number nine spot here, but um, it you know obviously not without controversy. Uh, number eight though, the Christmas Day game versus the Lakers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Yeah. I mean that one, almost historic in a way because I believe that was the first Christmas Day game since the 2012 season opener against the Miami Heat. Um. And of course the Mavericks ended up beating the crap out of the Lakers. Uh. It was a close game from what I remember in that first half. The the Mavericks for it, rather, uh, just couldn't really make any shots. And I don't know what kind of halftime speech Jason Kidd gave to the Mavericks, but it was pretty much a halftime switch in that third quarter. I, I believe the Mavericks almost scored 50 points uh, as a team. Tim Hardaway Jr. was going off. Luka Doncic was going off. I even think Maxi had a – or was Maxi hurt at that point? I can't – I can Yes, remember. he was. He yeah, was. So, um, But, yeah, you know, I, there was a, a number of guys that were kind of going off. Uh, I think even Reggie started to nail a few shots, and that was giving us some hope. Uh, but – yeah, that Christmas Day game definitely sticks out. Obviously, because it's Christmas Day, uh, it's in Dallas. It's against the Lakers yeah. on prime time, uh, and the Mavericks pretty much took care of business. Uh, I, I think it was Anthony Davis list uh, Lakers, but still LeBron was playing for that team, um, and the Lakers were in a huge question mark. Obviously, at that point in time, but uh, the Mavericks really did take care of business, and honestly, that was kind of a feel good win. 
And if I remember right, that kind of led way for a pretty big win streak, uh, which we'll get into a little bit later. But that led way for a pretty, pretty big win streak that happened, I believe, in the month of March or uh, a little bit later uh, in December. I can't remember, honestly, but yeah, I know it was a it was within that uh, month of January. Yeah. Uh, But it's it's kind of funny looking back at a lot of these moments, um, reading into the tea leaves of, you know, some of the podcasts that we were doing back then. I do remember uh, a strong sense of, you know, appreciation, obviously, that the Mavericks were winning. But I, you know, even amidst the seven, the seven game win streak, um, there was never a feeling of security in terms yeah. of how good that team was. And you could see it, um, you know, based on the product that the Mavericks were putting out in the court. I mean, they, they were beating people, but a lot of it was due, you know, I mean, admittedly, just strictly to hot shooting. And, and uh, Luka Doncic. And Luka Doncic, yeah. Um, but I mean, that Christmas Day game was really fun because that was the first, like you said, Jaron, first time Dallas had had a home game on Christmas since the 2011-12 season where they got swept by the heat uh, right after the championship. And um, it was just a really fun, jovial time. Uh, the Dirk statue was unveiled. That, um, right, yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously you, you had to beat up on LeBron on Christmas Day and go crazy from from three point land in the in the second half. You can't really ask for a. Uh, a better um, win. Uh, obviously, I guess NBA fans probably could have asked for a better game, given that uh, both rosters were not necessarily at full yeah. capacity in that game. But um, it, it, nonetheless, uh, from a feel-good perspective, it was uh, definitely a highlight of the season. But um, next up, we actually have Luca's fifty-point streak, and it was within the en- uh, tail end of December uh, when Luca had three separate. 50 plus point affairs one of them ended up being a 60 20 and 10 game versus the knicks and then he had a 50 point game against the rockets Rockets and spurs but i don't yeah Yeah. um right after um right before that but i can't remember the lasers or i can't remember yeah yeah i can't Um, remember exactly who it was but uh it it was definitely um you know that that james harden-esque type of carrying um that you saw on some of those um, yeah, you know, admittedly kind of atrocious, uh, small ball lineups, you know, uh, that the, uh, Rockets had pre Chris Paul, uh, back in like the 2016, 2015 days. Um, and you know, Luca was just carrying the Mavericks and in every single one of these games that the win streaks, Christian Wood was the only, um, sort of, uh, I guess, um, you know, supplementary piece that, uh, was really helping out from an offensive perspective at that time. Um, you know, with the maxi injury, uh, I believe Josh got hurt around that around, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if he was playing. Um, the team just lacked um, shot creation and defense in all aspects. You know, this is after they waved Kemba, of course, too. So, you know, Jaden Hardy really hadn't came into fruition either. So, I mean, you're, you're really just looking at Luca and Spencer as the only two ball handovers on the team. And um, he, he was playing otherworldly, um, shooting the lights out. Uh, getting to whatever spot he wanted to on the floor, uh, being you know uh, definitely the uh, true, uh, you know tried and true three level scorer, um, and you know absolute, you know just unit of a playmaker that he was. Um, he was I, I think it's honestly the best brand of basketball I've probably seen Luca play throughout his career during that uh that little fifty game or that uh, that fifty point uh stretch throughout consecutive games because he. You know, he, he just looked at another level of savvy. Like, you know, obviously you hear the cliche term that Luca 
you know, makes the game look easier than, you know, he ha- it actually is and all that sort of stuff all the time just due to his play style. But, you know, in those in those games, um, he, he just got to his spots very effortlessly. And I mean, yes, it was admittedly not against, you know, the best most high end opponents or or the most, uh, you know, high end defenses in the league. Um, but it, it seemed like he could, you know, create space and essentially do whatever he wanted from from anywhere. And, you know, I I'm not saying that he, he can't do that any game when he gets hot, but particularly against, you know, those teams and and those defenses. I mean, it, it just like didn't even look like it was hard for him to to do what he did, which was, I think, probably the most astonishing part of it all. But, you know, obviously it is an individual accomplishment at the end of the day, hence why. We don't have it higher on this list, but it still does come in at the number seven spot. Yeah, you know, I, and again, you know, to speak to that point, like, I mean, he was playing, uh, of course, in that New York game. Like, New York was a pretty, you know, well-set defense because, again, it's under, um, I don't know why I can't remember. Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I don't know why I can't remember that name. Uh, but, you know, Obi Toppin, I believe, was out of that game. Um, and I, I think that was honestly, I think everybody else played in the, between the Knicks besides Jalen Brunson, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he played some decent defenses and then of course he also played the Houston Rockets and then the San Antonio Spurs, uh, which kind of speaks for itself. Those teams are very weak handed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's probably the most incredible, uh, professional athletic feat that, uh, you know, I think anyone has seen on any given night. Uh, the fact that he could do that night in and night out for, you know, what was it like two weeks? Uh, was pretty incredible in itself and you know of course pop uh pops coming out and saying right before the game that you know what's your what's your goal for Luca and he pretty much said to hold him less than 50 points and you know they didn't do that because Luca had 50 on that night yeah um but yeah I mean it, it was very fun to watch um and you know looking back at it in hindsight I think that that kind of streak honestly kind of strangle held Luca for the rest of the season I think that uh in a way he was almost you know he exerted so much energy throughout that run that it, it kind of led way through later in the season once we got up you know towards the march uh and of course april games that it, it was kind of first off it was pointless to play those games at full 100 level because the mavericks weren't really competing for a spot um or a valuable seed in the playoffs um and second off i think that he just honestly didn't have the juice to do so but um now that he is kyrie irving you know that of course will hopefully not happen but We'll move on later to Kyrie and Luca together a little bit later. Uh, but moving on to the number six spot, we just talked about a little bit earlier, but that seven-game win streak. I don't remember the exact teams, but I know it was two Rockets wins. Um, I want to say San Antonio win and even Blazers, from what I can remember. I don't remember who else it was, but I, um, I remember. It was obviously, New York. Team. Yeah, New York, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I believe it was two Blazers games. Yeah, yeah I think it was two Blazers games and two Rockets games. I think yeah, that's but, what it was. Um, I need to look it up to, to be quite sure with you, but – um yeah that was a uh, amidst you know christian wood uh i think he start that's when he got the starting job yeah. around there uh for a brief period of time there and the mavericks offense was uh clicking on all, on all cylinders between the um luca and christian wood uh pick and roll opportunities um they they were definitely taking advantage of, advantage of that um and 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 diagnosing mismatches i mean it was it was fun to watch but uh conversely you you did start to see the defensive shortcomings um you know, really start to plague this team, but they were just winning uh, with hot shooting and their spacing being really good, essentially. And uh, it was definitely a high point in the season just because, obviously, uh, the Mavericks, you know, did not – I don't think they've gone on a win streak like that in a I think few since years. since the 2011 season. Yeah, since they said since the 2011 season. And, um, you know, it, it definitely felt oddly placed, you know, like I said, given – you know, the strength of schedule, but, you know, you win seven games in a row at the end of the day, you know, you win seven games in a row, you're up, you know, you're up seven games 
you know, contrary to what you were at. And from that reason alone, I think that, you know, definitely catalyzed some hope within fans that, you know, we were definitely uh, going to be, you know, vying for uh, one of those top five, four seeds in the West at that point. But obviously things, you know, went a little uh, misdirection. There's, you know, quite a bit of misdirection after that, but I mean, none- nonetheless, it was a, it, it was a fun time and we were riding the high of the wave, even though it was also at a time that Jaron and I um sort of tapered off of, in our uh, coverage of the Mavericks yeah, but, as well. I mean, we got back on it. We did get back on it at the, at the most integral time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll get to that moment later. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to yes. that moment later. But uh, moving forward now to number five, uh, that was previously number six. I don't know if I said that. Now to number five. Um, This is post Kyrie trade. Uh, It's the Luka Kyrie 40 point duel uh, against the Philadelphia 76ers. I actually rewatched this game a few weeks ago uh, just because first off, it's brilliant basketball. And because I miss, miss basketball so much that I actually had to watch a rare uh, 22 23 Mavericks game uh, that you know happened to have happened to have ended good um, but yeah you know it was a fun game to watch obviously uh, Luca and Kyrie went off I think Luca at 42 and Kyrie at 41 if I remember right um, it, it was somewhere around there but either way both players scored 40 plus points I think that was the first time that had happened um, was it since game seven of the 2016 finals or was that um, made that I, I I don't remember I know yeah, that they're the first duo to do it in a very long time um, but or they could have been the first to do it in general, but I'm not sure. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it, it was a critical time in the or in the season, uh, of course, that when I think kind of revitalized a lot of hope for the Mavericks. That was kind of during that stretch of the that uh, March 5th game versus the Suns. And then, of course, that Lakers matinee day game. Uh, and then, of course, that Sixers game, you know, they were all huge games that happened kind of back to back in a way. Um, and Luca and Kyrie, of course, dominated uh, the Sixers. It was it ended up being a good game, a close game. I think Josh Green uh, kind of contributed quite a bit too in that uh, performance, but um, I, I can't really think of anyone else that really had a decent game outside of those three. Uh, but either way, you know, it was a fun game to watch. And I, I think, you know, in regards to Luca and Kyrie, that was kind of the, oh shit, like this is what these guys could be uh, on a night out basis. You know, of course, maybe not averaging 40, but uh, the fact that these guys can average 30 to 25 a game um, on a night in and night out basis could be, you know, pretty much crazy for any defense in the NBA. And that's kind of what we saw a little sneak peek of against the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah. And uh, there was definitely, um, at least in the uh, national media, uh, this sort of uh, developing narrative that, you know, Luca, uh, but, you know, and Kyrie couldn't play together. And more specifically that, you know, Kyrie wasn't going to work out in Dallas. The naysayers were already calling it out, you know, like literally two weeks out from the trade. I think that that game, you know, Obviously, the Mavericks went on to, you know, have a losing record with both of them playing, you know, throughout the latter half of the season. And, you know, they're, they're, that narrative is still, you know, maintaining uh, some decent strength over at ESPN. But they do have, you know, plenty of other talking points in a James Harden, Damian uh, Lillard, um, you know, interrupted offseason at this point. So um, I, it, it was, you know, very nice to sort of silence the doubters, at least for the time being in that sense, because, I think it at least did shine a little bit of a national spotlight on the fact that, you know, you know, at least talking heads and people with any sense understood that, you know, Kyrie and Lucas fit together and, you know, their inclusion um, as the, you know, the two spearheads of the Mavericks organization um, is not the reason for the last year's, um, you know, collapse at the end of the season. So I, you know, that, that's why I appreciate that game so much. And it'll, you know, it definitely is a game I'd, 
def, you know would want to go back and watch the highlights of heading into next season to build the hype up. So honestly, might do that after this. <laughs> that was I'm, I'm getting hyped, but that was a fun that was a fun fun game. So it deservingly gets the number five spot. But number four, we have elected to put Jaden Hardy on draft night. Um, his selection with Nico Harrison. Uh, trading, I believe, two future second round picks, maybe like cash considerations. I can't even remember to the to the Sacramento Kings for the number thirty seventh pick in the draft in the twenty twenty two draft. Um, we're technically including anything that happened in the season, um, even if it's just transactionally, uh, from literally the genesis of the season at the draft, all the way to the end. And obviously, um, getting Jaden Hardy there was was one of the only good moves all of last season um, from a transactional perspective. And, you know, the Mavericks, you know, hit the nail on the head with that, with that pick there. Obviously Hardy is, is poised to hopefully be in the rotation next year, despite uh, Tim McMahon and Brian Damaris um, having uh, not uh, needless to say, they're having a little bit of doubts about Hardy's spot in the rotation next year, but we'll see how that develops going forward. And I'm, I'm sure Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, possibly getting traded at one point or another could definitely skew uh, how that ends up going as well. But I mean, at the end of the day, the Mavericks end up gathering a young player um, that they have clearly extracted positive value from after I think the uh, sort of um, vibe with him going into that draft was that, you know, the playmaking, um and the you know inefficiency from outside was something that was going to be holding him back from you know reaching his potential as as a you know as soon as he could and definitely a lot of areas to improve for Jaden going forward after having watched and observed his rookie season but you know I think we can confidently say that there is enough there offensively and he shot the ball well enough yeah. uh to where you know he definitely is a, an intriguing young player um so you know given that was one of the only you know moves that was you know that we can shed a positive light upon that the Mavericks made last year it comes in at the number four spot here yeah absolutely and you know Jane Hardy just in general as a player was one of the very few uh positives of that 22-23 season um you know I think his emergence in the roster and his emergence on offense uh particularly in that second half of the season and you know as that season was kind of coming to close um his emergence was really huge for the Mavericks I think you know looking towards the future um, you know, he was really one of the first guys outside of Josh Green, maybe one of the first guys that the Mavericks had drafted uh, and were looking to, you know, or looking forward to, you know, offensive production or just production in general in the roster uh, from those young guys. So to see him emerge and become, uh, or I guess, have a relatively successful rookie campaign, um, you know, I think you only have to look back at that uh, draft night trade and pretty much, you know, assume that that's one of the better moves of the offseason. And it's one of the rare moves that the Mavericks had made that was positive outside of, you know, really Kyrie and Jane Hardy. I really can't think of another positive move uh, in hindsight. So uh, I, I think, you know, overall, it, it's definitely landing a top five spot. You know, you can debate it. It wasn't that, you know, it, it really didn't catch that many eyes whenever the move was made uh, from what I remember. But I, I think looking back at it, it should have been way more in the, you know, national spotlight, of course, in the Dallas media spotlight. Uh, but yeah, Jane Hardy had a great, great rookie campaign. We'll see what he can do now. Of course, he has his doubters and he has our believers at the mainstream Mavs network. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see going forward. Uh, but moving on to number three, we have the infamous uh, Maxi Kleba buzzer beater against the I don't remember whenever it was, but uh, against the Los Angeles Lakers. And that was a huge game for what I remember. If you want to go. Ahead yes, uh, this was uh, this was in March. 
And it was um, right before I think the Mavericks said, you know, started running down the track of calling it quits. And, you know, it was like maybe just a week or two yeah, before those, like a those two Hornets your losses yeah. and, you know, uh, a, a series of unfortunate events and playing down to their opponents that, that Dallas suffered uh, late in the season. But there, there was still a, a push to make the playoffs despite a, uh, a growing – uh, you know, sort of consensus within the fan base to tank or not tank. Um, it was definitely a hot topic, you know, of debate among fans at the time. Um, but the Mavericks, you know, were still statistically not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs or anything like that. And uh, they were they were still um, definitely, you know, I, I think by everybody involved, um, a, a sense of wanting to prove that, you know, Luca and Kyrie could work together and this, this team could at least make the playoffs after having a Western Conference Finals appearance. And, you know, I think that they were getting very desperate at this stage. They had just suffered a very tough loss to the Grizzlies uh, the night before. And I can't remember exactly um, what happened, but I do remember Maxi Kleber making a pretty, like, boneheaded play, whether it was, like, an inbounds pass. He just, like, yeah, threw, yeah, he threw it Yeah, he threw the inbound pass out of bounds. Yeah, that's yeah, what it was. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and Mavericks players uh, obviously held him accountable, but, you know, in a respectful manner and – uh, I do remember the Dallas media being, you know, obviously very critical of that and, you know, how he essentially sold that game the night before, you know, as crucial as the uh, playoff race was at the moment. And it was a sort of a roundabout, um, just uh, bearing all the fruits of your labor uh, sort of way for him to, you know, then uh, reverse that psychology of having, you know, just screwed up in one of the more crucial moments um you know in, in a late game situation of that season uh that night before to then come back off that uh Kyrie um you know pass uh, where Kyrie gets trapped uh gets it to Maxi on the uh weak side wing and uh, he just you know chucks it up wide open um with gets the ball off you know just with a few tenths of a second left and just cashes it uh after I believe we were down by two right yeah yeah, yeah so I mean, it was to win it after we were down too. I mean, it was definitely one of the coolest buzzer beaters that I've got a chance to uh, to watch for sure. Uh, just you know, given the context of it, as well as you know how uh, how timely it was, and you know it all just happening so last second, and the the game situation we were down by two. So it doesn't, you know, I don't think it uh, trumps maybe some of the other two the other two moments on this list strictly because. Um, I think that they have more like long-standing significance uh, when we're looking at the looking at them holistically, and you know what the accomplishments were in the top two spots. But in, in terms of one single moment, um, you know, in time, I guess if we had to, if we're viewing it like that, I might honestly put the Maxi buzzer beater like number one. Really? Uh, yeah. Not over and, and Kyrie's or not over Luca's. Uh... Well, uh, no, I mean, I, I'm talking. Are you talking about like moment? One, okay, yeah, yeah, one yeah, yeah. single yeah, moment okay. in time. Yeah, okay. I'm not talking okay. about like a game itself. Okay, yeah, like, that makes these sense. are all moments technically. But if we're yeah, yeah like if yeah. we're really getting in, intricate with it. Okay, right? that makes sense. I'd still probably select Luca's um, put back though. Yeah, that, that one. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, to touch up on that Maxi buzzer beater, it was almost symbolic in a way, um, just because you know all the hardship that the Mavericks, or I guess rather all the failures that the Mavericks had had uh, in the previous weeks before that game. Um, kind of just all mounted up into that Grizzlies game, the game before. And then, of course, Maxi redeemed himself and really redeemed the team for that matter uh, by making that buzzer beater. And you kind of saw everyone, coaches included, um, and I think even Mark Cuban, maybe if he was in attendance, I, I think he was actually, 
Um, but you saw everybody pretty much run off the bench and storm Maxi Kaliba, and it was a team huddle at midcourt on the Lakers logo pretty much. Uh, and everyone was, you know, very excited. And uh, like I said, it was almost like a sigh of relief. And moving forward uh, at that point, we thought that the Mavericks were going to make a run for the playoffs. Of course, that never happened. Uh, but yeah, it was almost symbolic in a way. And, you know, kind of looking back on it, it almost remember it reminds me of the, um, of course, under different circumstances, the Mavericks were a lot better. But of that Spencer Dinwiddie buzzer beater where Luka got double teamed at the top of the key, kind of dumped it off to Spencer Dinwiddie on the right on the um, strong side wing. And of course, Spencer Dinwiddie made it in Brooklyn, um, where he would end up being traded. So that's kind of funny now looking back at it. But um, yeah, it, it's almost symbolic of that, uh, or reminds me of that rather. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, in terms of moments, to your point, uh, a singular moment in the NBA season for the Mavericks, I think that that's probably number one. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, next up at number two, we have the Kyrie trade slash first game. Obviously, the Mavericks um, were without Luka Doncic uh, heading into their first game with Kyrie Irving. Um, they were playing the Los Angeles Clippers at the time, shortly right after the trade deadline. And Kyrie, you know, just got shipped off um, for, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, 2029 first round pick. And the vibe, you know, just heading into that game was was a sort of electric, electric feel. Um, shout out to MGMT uh, that uh, <laughs> that I'd uh, that. Um, that I'd never really seen before um, because I there was never never in my lifetime of watching the Dallas Mavericks as a player of that caliber, you know, obviously been shipped to the Mavericks, um, you know, midseason, even, you know, much less um, at the you know, beginning of the year as a free agent even signed. We have yet to even seen that yet. Um, but, you know, mid, I mean, to see that uh, and, you know, to just see a, a marquee player of, uh, of Kyrie's caliber, and, you know, having known all the history and, and significance of what he means to the NBA, um, suit up in a Dallas Mavericks uniform while, you know, he's still kind of in his prime uh, for the first time, just out of nowhere, um, you know, to an extent. Obviously, there was a, a growing sense that Kyrie may get shipped off uh, right before he did, because, um, you know, it, it did seem like Josiah at that point was just kind of done with the BS. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't I don't know exactly. And and that's not me saying that it was, you know, Kyrie specifically that was causing issues up there. But there was a ton of like trade requests between him and KD. And, you know, that's obviously when the Nets, you know, chose to pick another direction. Um, but nonetheless, it was uh, just a really weird time to be a Mavericks fan because things changed um, from, you know, what we were so accustomed to um, in just the blink of an eye. Um, and obviously I don't think everybody in Dallas was like entirely thrilled by the move at the time, even, even though the mainstream mouse podcast was very, uh, very, very in a, you know, in a huge support of Kyrie, you know, welcomed him with open arms. And, but I, I can't say that, you know, that was the, um, consensus for everybody within the, the Dallas media. I mean, I think everybody was, um, at least excited, but I don't know. Maybe if not Brown Townsend. But... Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, what I was going <laughs> to know, but it, not, not everybody essentially, you know, was, uh, hell bent on this thing working out and i mean it still may not in the end in terms of you know what ends up happening at the end of these next two seasons before Kyrie's contract likely expires with his player option but i mean uh needless to say it it was um just a, a really cool cool time uh when that happened and, and i thought it boded a lot of significance uh you know just for me personally in terms of my time being a mavericks fan uh getting to see somebody like that step up on the floor for the for the first time, um, you know, that that came here 
via a transaction, whether it's free agency or, or, you know, a trade was not a homegrown product like, like Dirk or Luca. It was, it was weird seeing somebody of that caliber uh, suit up in a Mavericks uniform and Kyrie balled out in his first game versus the Clippers too. Uh, the Maverick, the Mavericks ended up closing that game out um, late in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, wire to wire, it was a pretty um, competitive game. They were going back and forth. And I mean, it kind of was capped off there by Kyrie hitting that tough, um, wrong footed, um, you know, right, right-handed floater. That um, got blocked. Yes. And then, yeah. yeah. Well, no, over Kawhi. Yeah, no, it's yeah, the same. Yeah, got like, blocked. Kawhi had, had a hand on it. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, he had a hand on it and oh, yeah. ended up like somehow pulling it away and getting it off still in yeah, midair. It was it's incredible. Ridiculous. But, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. But uh, yeah, that for that reason, that is going to be number two. And I, I think, you know, unless you have anything to say on it, Jaren, I think uh, for both of us, I can definitely say that it was um, one of the, you know, happiest times of the season from uh, an excitement perspective, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and just to touch up, I mean, that was probably for me in terms of my fanship and how long I've been a fan. That's probably a top three moment in terms of regular season. Uh, games that have happened because again I mean Kyrie Irving was a maverick uh, and again you know I wasn't a huge uh, proponent of that trade even happening I remember one of the rumors were happening either it was either just hours before or just a day before uh, whenever the Mavericks were rumored to be involved in a Kyrie Irving trade yeah. I wasn't the huge the biggest uh, the biggest you know advocate of it but I do remember you know whenever he was traded there you kind of have to swallow your pill there and you have to say Kyrie Irving is a Dallas Maverick. Well, dep- know, what else can you want? I think so. depending on the package too, because yeah, it- I, I do think a lot of us, you know, thought that because, because there was this um, very sort of up in the air perception of Kyrie's value. And I, I still don't know if we could properly gauge it because, you know, he's just an extremely volatile, you know, both um, not when not, not on the court, but off the court, obviously. And that's that's not a discredit to him. I'm just you know talking strictly about you know what we can take from the last couple of years of his time in Brooklyn, and um, obviously you know it's like you know he is 30, 31 years old, um, but he's he's so damn good. You know he is an All NBA talent. Should we NBA seventy five talent at that? So. No, yes, but <laughs> well, we're not going to talk about that. But moving on, obviously. We have Luca's 60, 20, and 10 game versus the New York Knicks on December 27th. Um, definitely, you know, might have been the single greatest individual performance of the 2022-23 NBA season um, in a, as a whole. Um, you know, I'm obviously, uh, I think somebody scored over 70 this year. Uh, Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell, yeah. And then he had a very similar putback yeah. off of a missed free throw, so... Uh, you can probably argue that one, I guess, but at, conversely, he also didn't have 20 rebounds and 10 assists. Um, it was uh, the single greatest basketball performance I've ever seen live, and I, you know, to this day, I'm still blessed to have been able to win- witness that with Jaron. Um, is you know, and it's funny because we honestly will probably go to more games last year, but in like the four or five games that we were able to go to last year, we were somehow fortunate enough to go see Luca because we were obviously, you know, going there in the first place to see Jalen Brunson's return. And, um, you know, we were bummed out pregame when we found out that he wasn't playing. And I think that um, that um, sort of uh, vibe that of, of, of bumminess definitely turned into that of a, an immaculate vibe to, to flip it on his head. If I remember right, with 33 seconds left, the Mavericks were down by nine points. And the, the Knicks actually had the ball, I'm pretty sure. We actually 
uh, I don't mean to be this way. We we are very good Mavericks fans, as you can see. We have a podcast, but we actually thought about walking out uh, because again, it was very frustrating to that point because the Mavericks couldn't get anything going, uh, and the Knicks weren't necessarily playing great. Uh, they were just playing enough to kind we, of. We never walk out of games, by the way. Yeah, we never walk out of games, and that, that's why I didn't yeah. think about that it was pretty pretty strong. Yeah, itself, but it, so. but it was just like you know a few seconds left is is much different than a few minutes left. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we were just trying to get a little head start, but it it was definitely. Um, just one, it, it, it was essentially like immaculate conception, essentially. Um, it was, you know, as improbable as the birth of baby Jesus, the, the Mavericks coming back, um, within those last, you know, waning moments of that game. Um, you know, Luca had like an A1 and just comes back and, you know, gets the missed free throw, somehow ties the game up. The Mavericks win in OT, just going absolutely ballistically offensively. You know, I would encourage you guys to go listen to our podcast from that game if you can somehow find it. It's deep in the trenches, but it. I, I thought Jaron and I did a pretty good job at the time of of summarizing um, the both the significance of Luca to this organization, as yeah. well as just how good of an encore product he was. Um, we we talked ad nauseum for like an hour and a half almost uh, about the game and you know our experience there it was definitely. Um, the funnest time I've had as a Mavericks fan this season, I thought that that was like for sure the turning point. I, I was like, this dude's at another stratosphere right now, you know, regardless of how bad our team sucks. Um, I was riding a high of, uh, Luka Doncic's, um, you know, performance. And I, uh, obviously ended up coming down off that a little bit. Um, but, uh, needless to say, you know, he, he had entered a, a realm of, you know, I, I think that definitely like planted and, you know, stamped him as, um, you know, potentially a top 75 player of all time uh, uh, after that, after that feat. Yeah. I, uh, I think that that, you know, definitively put him in there um, because well, you know, what he did throughout that stretch and, you know, I'm not saying he's the first guy to have ever done something like that, obviously, you know, well, James, I mean, he James he hard, was, but well, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah. The, the stat line itself. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But I, 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 you know, performances of that caliber, like we've seen, um, you know, certain guys have them, but, um, you know, to get 60, 20 and 10 like that, that's something only, you know, the greats are doing. And uh, that's, you know, the, every once in a while you get the um, the uh, improbable like Terrence Ross 50 point performance or Andre Miller going off for 50, something like that. I remember Corey Brewer got one yeah, Corey Brewer got a few one years ago. Yep. Um, but, you know, those are essentially just, you know, you know, bench guys that end up getting really hot and have a good shooting night, um, you know, to, you know, place your yourself within the realm of, of guys that, you know, got a 60 point triple double and, you know, that, you know, all, not just a 60 point triple double, but a 60, 20 and 10 triple double, um, you know, to be the first person in history to ever do that while hitting an insane game tying shot at the end of, you know, regulation that I think epitomizes, uh, Luca's style of basketball to a T, um, you know, just based on the whole improbability aspect of it all and yeah. how he, you know, sees angles and sees, um, you know, different ways to drive, um, and, um, uh, you know, not, not only just shoot from different spots, but, um, you know, be able to facilitate to guys, um, that the, you know, average Joe watching on TV, uh, can't even see uh, looking at a literal five on five, you know, diagram on a screen um, where, where you have literally the whole landscape to be able to peruse over 
Um, and I, you know, Luca's proved me wrong with some of the passes that he saw ahead of time. Um, and, and he's actually in the game and I couldn't even have spotted it on TV. So, uh, that, um, you know, for, for him to do that, you know, that in making, you know, that shot after the, the rebound off the missed free throw intentionally. Um, yeah, like I said, just, it just sums up, um, his, you know, his basketball game and, and certainly epitomizes it, um, because of, you know, how unpredictable he can be and, you know, how, how good he is in, um, you know, adverse situations where, you know, he's, he's counted out all the time. And, um, that's, that's why that moment will forever be special to me. Um, and, you know, as far as attending it goes, um, definitely, uh, one of the coolest things I've probably, you know, not just got to experience, um, from a Mavericks perspective, but definitely, um, in my life for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It probably will go down as one of the, one of the best moments that I've, you know, ever witnessed, uh, or at least athletic feats that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Um, and that's honestly a fact, but yeah, I mean, to your point, uh, just the improbability of the shot alone was incredible and to see it go down. And of course his, his way of celebrating, um, and his victory beers after were, you know, only symbolic of, you know, what kind of occurred during that game. So it, it was definitely fun to watch. Um, but honestly, moving forward, I think that, you know, in terms of off season stuff, I think that we can probably start making this a yearly thing where we go over the top 10 best moments. Yes. Um, the, uh, the mainstream Mavs, uh, we're going to, we're going to embed, uh, mainstream LLC, you know, yeah. at the bottom and not let anybody get the trademarks to doing any more top 10 moments in general. Yeah. Any, any Mavs podcast that does a top 10 moments. It's, it's to the yes, courts. It's to the courts. <laughs> yeah. Unless, unless they're associated with the smoking Cuban, we will yeah, we'll, we'll let them slide. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, it'd actually be civil courts not criminal law so uh, whatever the other one's called but yes um yeah jaron uh is clearly actually you know learning for once at school he's taking this opportunity here <laughs> to uh to to get some knowledge perhaps he can he can use it this upcoming season um and uh you know maybe it uh it'll actually make him a, a viable podcast co-host at some of these after some of these posts absolutely but, absolutely but, uh, but anyways we do appreciate you guys for listening this far on the podcast. Make sure, like Jaron and I said, to go check out all of our work over at The Smoking Cuban. Jaron, you just released three reasons to look forward to this upcoming season for the Mavericks and uh, two two reasons to not look forward to it. Was it was uh, uh, three positives and basically two negatives of this upcoming season. Yes. So go check that out. I just released articles in regards to Josh Green potentially. Uh, three reasons why he could become an all-star. I'm not saying that I think he will, but, you know, I do list a variety of reasons that that possibility could present itself. And it's, it's pretty, uh, it was a fun piece to write. And uh, I wrote a piece about Mike miles. We both got some stuff up about the schedules and uh, we obviously, you know, we have things in the work all the time. Absolutely. absolutely. We, we were I got fine. a big article, a fun article, uh, maybe not fun for fans, but a fun article for me coming out about Josh green later this week. Uh, I won't release that title, but, it's going to be pretty controversy. I'll say that or controversy yes. or whatever. I have a, I have an article coming up. Um, Controversial. There we go. About a uh, unreleased piece of uh, media that will be hitting the streets on September 8th. So I, uh, yes, yes, I, yes. I talk, I talk about that and I'm not going to disclose the name for anybody who's clueless as to what I'm talking about. Then you just look up September 8th and what happens on that day. Um, that not September 11th though. Don't do that. All right. But anyways, this has been the mainstream mass podcast. Uh, we've obviously overextended our stay, but we're having, and a, we've overextended our stay in this. Little uh, we only here. have four minutes left. Yes, technically. Yes. We're, we're, uh, 
we're uh we're definitely uh, running in the fringes here but uh we have uh definitely enjoyed our new setting perhaps we'll do more podcasts here you guys will get to see this Excellent beautiful sound it's beautiful things. yeah sound yeah. steel but i mean we, we're we definitely uh we got a cool little uh setup here if you guys can't see oh, uh, lock his face up. Uh, oh yeah <laughs> second uh but yeah we're we're in uh this uh the study room is definitely a uh a vibe for sure so perhaps more content will be produced here but um yes check out all our stuff on the smoking cuban make sure to get at us on youtube um mainstream mass podcast on youtube like comment down below um you know who needs a back to school haircut more, Jaron or Will? Yeah, Comment that debate. down below. That's a big debate. As a big debate, they both actually got ones before school started, but admittedly, hey, mine was like a few weeks. Yes, mine was a few weeks, or mine was like a week before. So <laughs> perhaps they should have got it, uh, right, you know, a little before. closer to yeah. the date. Yeah, uh, let us know. Um, also, um, make sure to turn on post notifications, whether you're on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so you guys can stay up to date when, when with whenever our podcasts come out. And if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or on any other listening platform, we really do appreciate you. Um, make sure to follow us. Give us a five-star review if you do feel so inclined. We appreciate any feedback we can get. And we do really appreciate each and every one of you guys that listens and has supported our um, stretch of a infrequent but banger podcast this summer. There because we, um, we you know, have been busy with some, you know, me personally, Jaren, Jaren's been fine. But I, I've had some things in my personal life as of recently that have definitely been unexpected and derailed the podcast a little bit. But um, now that we have adjusted to our school schedule and what have you, I think that we are both uh, poised to be uploading on a very frequent basis. Most likely bi-daily is the, is the goal. Moving uh, forward. Moving forward. Uh, I'm sure that we will not always meet that threshold, but... Um, you will you hold us accountable. <laughs> yes, I, I, I will personally hold... You know, the fans will hold us accountable, yes. but... Uh, we will be more persistent, um, most definitely. And if for some reason we do end up having to ever take off a day, which um, I hope will be on a very infrequent basis, you know, maybe like once a month or whatever, um, then we will make sure to let you guys know on Twitter and you'll get updates about that. So uh, that'll be the policy uh, from here on going forward. Um, so we are excited about that and, uh, you know, about the uh, future of this podcast as we head into year two of the year mainstream two, mass crazy. podcast it is stuff. but we will catch you guys in the next one this has been will and jaren with the mainstream mass podcast follow us on twitter as well at mainstream 214 at jaren boslow at will mill those are all the handles that you yep. need to go follow our individual twitters as well as podcast account twitter we will catch you guys in the next one mainstream mass podcast signing out Bye bye